Welcome to the Whole Council Podcast. I'm John Snyder, and today we have a special episode with a friend and a producer named Dan Pugh of Pugh Productions. And Dan has been uh, involved in two very significant and uh, stirring documentaries, films, in the last few years. One is called Revival, The Work of God, and this is presented by Jeremy Walker. And it's a, a, it's a collaboration between Pew Productions and Reformation Heritage Books. And so there's the DVD, and it's got a lot of material available, not just uh, an overview of the theology of revival, the, his, the, historic, uh, the historical key incidents in the Western Hemisphere in the last few centuries uh, that we consider to be genuine revival. Um, but th- there's just a lot of um, good extra material there, and you can find that at Reformation Heritage Books. Also, Welsh Awakenings, the story of God's work in Wales, and this is presented by a Welshman named Jonathan Thomas, and uh, it's, it really is just a beautiful two-hour documentary film, and it also has extra material. It has three DVDs, and it has a code on the inside Um, If you purchase this, then you get a streaming code as well in case you don't use DVDs, or you can go online and just purchase the streaming code. But uh, Welsh Awakenings, we'll be talking with Dan about these and the theme of revival and what's the significance of it. I hope you find it beneficial. Well, hello, Dan. It's good to have you on the show and um, good to be able to talk about a couple of really significant things you've been involved in in the last few years. Uh, I think that you and I met um, probably uh, uh, about 10 years ago in, in your country, in Wales, and, uh, and then have met uh, uh, in America and uh, again in North Wales where you live in a small Bible study through some mutual friends. Um, so it's good to get back with you. Um, I wonder if you could give us uh, a little explanation of two things that you've been working on in the last years with Pew Productions. And the first is Revival, the Work of God, and the other is Welsh Awakenings, the story of God's work in Wales. And uh, as we were talking before the podcast, there's a lot of similarity there, uh, but there's also a lot of uh, difference. So why don't you just run us through those works? Sure. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's good to see you and speak to you again. Uh, yes. So, um, the initially what happened was that I pitched in 2020, it was early 2020. I pitched or we pitched to RHB, uh, what is now Welsh awakenings. Um, but Joel Beakey rightly thought it better to expand the geography of the subject out to the whole of the West and to look at revival more generally. So what that became was the first film you mentioned, Revival, The Work of God, presented by Jeremy Walker. And that covers kind of the the history and the theology of revival. So what is revival? And then providing some snapshots of God's work in reviving his church and uh, working in both his people within the church and within a nation. And then there's bonus features that cover more of the theology. 
But as you go through the history in the documentary, we draw out lessons that we can learn for today. And then COVID hit. And so it was very soon afterwards, very soon after we greenlit Revival. And uh, all the borders were shut. I couldn't get out of Wales. I had very little work during lockdown. And so rather than sit at home twiddling my thumbs, I wanted to at least make something worthwhile, even if I didn't um, get paid. Just so long as I could cover the costs, then I'd have something to a product available once lockdown finished. And I was trying to think what I could do within the borders of Wales, and this project came back to mind. Um, so this was really a lockdown project initially, and then things opened up midway through filming. And Jonathan Thomas both writes and presents the film. Jonathan Thomas is a pastor in Abergavenny in South Wales, and he's very well read. He loves church history, and he um, agreed to write the project and present it. We set up a Kickstarter <coughs> and got enough for what we needed. And we travelled across the length and breadth of Wales. Um, and I travelled a bit more than that to get um, some of the aesthetics shots, some of the, the scenery shots of Wales. I think I must have travelled every corner of the country to get um, the shots we needed. And that was a great privilege, very tiring, but a wonderful privilege, which I'm thankful for. And really, um, I fell in love with my my country in a, a fresh way during that. Doing that. Uh, people have joked that it could work just as well as a, a tourist board for Wales, which I suppose could be true. It's a grand vista of Welsh church history. Um, so it's full of grand vistas of the beauty of Wales. Mm. The purpose and nature of um, Welsh Awakenings uh, is threefold. Um, first of all, to encourage us by looking at what God has done in the past and can do again. And uh, I'd say reading about revival and hearing about revival, about God's great works in the past, his work in awakenings, um, really had a great impact upon me as a young Christian. I was converted when I was 18, 19 years old. And both hearing in the church I was attending at the time, reading books by people like Adrian Evans, who people who are watching may remember from the first Beholder of God study, and I believe he's in Logic on Fire as well. Mm. He wrote about the 1859 revival, the 1904 revival. Hearing Duncan Campbell's account of the Isle of Lewis revival, which we cover in the revival documentary with Jeremy Walker, really had a, I think it was just the fact that suddenly, the kindest things we read about in the Bible, about what God did, the great powerful works he did in his people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with the early church at Pentecost, really came to life. Like, this is not just, you know, something that happened in biblical times. This happened in history. This happened, you know, in the case of the Isle of Lewis revival, this happened in 1949. This was very recent. And so... It struck me that this is something that God does throughout history. He comes and he grants greater measures of the Spirit. He revives his church. He pours forth his Spirit so that they uh, are filled with um, love and joy and grace and fear and holy awe of God 
there's a sense of the presence of God and what that what, what effect that has that he is glorified more in the church in our lives because we are revived we can live lives the way that we have been redeemed to be in a way that is um, closer to what he wants us to be because it's not anything to do with us so often great prayer perceives revival a sense that we are utterly destitute without his him as a church as in we can we cannot do anything without him um all our works are in vain um and so revival is uh an heightening of the ordinary work of god in the church so that's the first thing is that by looking back we're not just looking back and thinking well that was wonderful you know ah those are the days things are never going to be the same again or oh if they could be just the same as they were then with exactly the same um you know a formula or whatever but it's looking back and saying wow god is the same yesterday today and forever secondly it provides a a big picture overview of god's work in wales um it struck me when for example reading avon evans's books um and while making the film how each generation references the previous generation in the i mean by that that there's a kind of passing of the baton and a thread which links through the whole story so for example if i was reading a book on the 1859 revival the people there as they were distressed over the state of the church and its um decline and just the the apathy and the almost barrenness in society and in the church of god's spirit uh, they would reference and read the works of thomas charles who was an influential leader in the early 19th century the men and the churches in Thomas Charles's day would reference back to the works of the fathers of Welsh Calvinistic Methodism in the early 18th century. People like Daniel Rowland, Howell Harris, and William Williams. 1904 revival. Again, they're looking back at the 1859 revival. It's all it's all linked. And so that struck me, you know, that this is not just smattering, you know, smatterings of history that happened in isolation. There is a thread that goes through that. And so to, you know, I wanted to know what the what the big picture was. And I didn't know where to look. There are there are general histories of of church history in Wales, books that you can buy, but not a, a film that I was aware of. So I I thought I'd I'd make one, and um, focusing particularly on the 18th to 20th century, uh, because 18th century is really when um, what we think of as um, Welsh Christianity in the sense of the Welsh Calvinistic Methodists and the revivals began. Of course, God was at work before them throughout Welsh history, but it wasn't. It didn't have an effect in the sense that it took hold of the whole nation in the way that it did in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. And then, thirdly and finally, it examines my intention. Well, I, I don't know. I hope we've succeeded in this: is to examine the factors, both spiritual and theological, <clears throat> but also external and practical within society that contributed to the rise and decline of Wales as a Christian nation. Um, and I mean Christian nation in in the sense, the, you know, the fullest sense that you could say that. I mean, in one sense, there is no fully Christian nation. The only Christian nation in one sense will be heaven uh, in the new earth. But, you know, in terms of just 
Christianity saturating the nation and affecting every area of the culture. Um, Wales is one of those truly Christian nations. And so it looks at the rise, but also the decline. You have the rise in the 18th century, it kind of plateaus in the 19th century, and then begins to decline in the 20th century. Well, why? Why did both those things happen? And so that's what we seek to answer. Now, whereas revival examines the history and theology of revival itself, um, in order to, to differentiate from that, Welsh Awakenings is intended to be more of a, a case study of a nation. You know, okay, we've seen revival, we've seen, you know, what it looks like and what it is in revival, the work of God. But now, how does that look when you follow the trajectory of a nation? You know, when revivals punctuate and they come in and God does something mighty in the nation. And then there's there's the there's the troughs. And then God does this again. It's, it's important to mention as well that Wales was known as the land of revivals. Um, I think, I believe, between 1862 and... No, sorry, 1762 and 1862. There were 15 major revivals that happened in Wales. And it worked out roughly as certainly once the 19th century began as one every 10 years. So the people expected that God would work mightily uh, in the nation. So we see we see that play out across history. And then we see we start to see some some negative things coming in, both from the world and from within the church that begin to, you know, we can see what happens there as the trajectory begins to go like that. So, yeah, so in a in a word or two or three, those are the, um, that, those are the two films. When you think about uh, how this Welsh Awakenings um, tracing the work of God through the nation of Wales, uh, the, the principality is a small and somewhat isolated, you know, because of your geography even, uh, and the language, you know, there, it, it's quite isolated for a modern country. Uh, it's not the melting pot that some other countries are. Um, and so it does provide really a, a unique um, test case as you're looking at the work of God. But how do you think that would profit spiritually those that, you know, are not in Wales? You, we think of the uh, American scene or the European Christian scene or other countries. Yes. But I'm thinking a lot of America, obviously being an American, but also because of the connection between Wales and America. In so many of these revivals, we do see a, um, a back and forth influence at times, sometimes, sure. uh, oftentimes very beneficial, sometimes through Charles Finney, um, post-Finney uh, theology in the States, we see that also bleeding back into Wales. Um, oh. So if you're speaking to an American pastor, at a conference, and he looks at uh, this Welsh Awakenings study, uh, and he says to you, "Well, that's that's a quaint thing, you know. That, that's 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 interesting. If you're Welsh, but I need something very practical for my my country, my people. What value do you see for the American or anyone else that's not in Wales?" Hmm. Um, well, it's a good question. I mean, first of all, I suppose God is the same across the world yeah. and across history. So, uh, and the methods that he uses, um, although they look differently, um, perhaps from occasion to occasion, 
um, they are the same, and he is the same God. And so we can, by looking at what he has done in Wales or in England or Scotland or America or you know any other nation uh, where he has been, where his you know his handprints and his his footprints are clearly seen, you know, um, then we can we can hopefully draw le- lessons from that. That's my my belief and my intention really in making this was to make something that was accessible to all you know it wasn't just meant to be a a, a holy huddle for the welsh no. um obviously the welsh um are going to find it particularly helpful in terms of just understanding how they came to be where they are but i think <coughs> part of it is because um as well as you say the the welsh language barrier means that it is a very ill ill-known um story perhaps compared to the story of england or scotland or wales um the english language didn't really i think become a prevalent you know language in wales till the late 19th century when you know the common man was speaking it regularly so a lot of the influential works that were done in welsh uh, or for in wales sorry um were done in the 18th and early 19th century in Welsh. And so um, there is that barrier, that language barrier. And Martin Lloyd-Jones um, went out of his way, I think, to promote Welsh church history to a wider audience um, by translating it into English. His wife, Bethan, translates some of William Williams' works okay. into English because he believed um, that there was a value there, that you know, this is something that is important, that there is something we can learn, not just in Wales, but across the world from both what happened and some of the men that um, he raised up. It's also, you know, it's said that America is a generation behind Britain in its kind of secularization. That's what I've, I've heard people say that. And so, you know, very early on, I was thinking, <coughs> you know, this is, you know, this is a story of, as I said, the rise and decline of a Christian nation. And America is going through, you know, I mean, just generally, I mean, there are certain um, perhaps parallels that we can see there. Um, so, and there was one particularly that struck out to me, um, <coughs> stood out to me, was when I, I think it was when I first came or the second visit I made to Mississippi to um, to you in New Albany and stayed with um, Matt Robinson, the uh, previous uh, director of Media Grachi, the founder, and I went to visit his brother. We went to visit his brother and have uh, food with him. And I was talking to him, and he said, um, "You know, if you're anybody, if you want to be anybody in this town, you kind of have to go to church." It's, you know, I don't know how many churches there are in New Albany. I think about fifty or something. And um, that, yeah, that's it's just what you did, and that was very true in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century in Wales as the nation became so um, filled with the work of God and the gospel and became so saturated with the gospel that it bled into everything. And Christianity became part of the establishment and that really became its downfall in a sense because um, uh, because it was so much part of the establishment and the culture, then you had a lot of nominal Christianity and a lot of just um, surface Christianity. It was just you know what you did. 
And um, I remember when I was interviewing one of the gentlemen in the film, uh, Professor Wynne James, he mentioned in passing, really, and I didn't, it didn't make it into the film because it just didn't really fit anywhere. And the time was, I needed to trim the fat, as it were. But it was a very interest, interesting comment he made that um, in my, during the 1904 revival, there was a, a minister called Nantlace Williams, and he was actually the minister of my father's home church in Bethany in Abenford. And he was converted as a minister in the 1904 revival. He was, you, you know, he was just a, an unconverted preacher. And he became a preacher because that's just, it was either that or, you know, he was going to go and become a poet. You know, that was just, it was just a vocation that people who wanted to make it in society did. They became a preacher. Um, and all he, what he said was a lot of people would join the church just because the deacon in the church was a influential and um, notable employer in the area. I just, that, that's, that parallel between the Deep South now, I don't know how true it is now, that was 10 years ago, so I don't know what's changed. It may have changed since then. But um, yeah, I just thought, that's interesting. That's interesting, just, you know, those parallels yeah. that we can see. Now that's, of course, that's Wales 100 years ago or more. So with bearing that in mind, you know, just the fact that we are kind of ahead of you in terms of secularization, um, I thought maybe there are parallels, maybe there are lessons that um, people in America and worldwide can learn here as they see something particularly, um, as you say, unique in, you know, when God really gets a hold of a nation. Now, what can that look like? You know, what can God, God can do the same for us. But also, what are the things to, to avoid and look out for? So, um, I think those are some of the things I would say. Mm -hmm. Yes, so timeless principles, as you mentioned, uh -huh. uh, of the normal work of God raised to an extraordinary pitch, um, yeah. an extraordinary degree of the uh, noticeable activity of our God. Uh -huh. uh, you mentioned that each generation tended to look back. And I, I was thinking of, um, you know, many of the 18th century men who were at the spearhead of that uh, evangelical revival, uh, you know, that really the, as you mentioned, while there were many wonderful isolated bright spots in Welsh history uh, in the church, uh, the early 18th century is really where we see uh, large portions of the nation being impacted, large sections of the nation uh, hearing the gospel with an extraordinary uh, result. But uh, I remember doing um, research in Wales and English uh, church history at, at that time, and how many of the Calvinistic Methodists, Wales or England, uh, these so these revival men who were um, re of a Reformed perspective, following on the heels a lot of Puritan thinking, how many of them wrote little Christian histories like John Newton? Uh, and there were many others, uh, to, to attempt to demonstrate that the work that people were seeing in their day was not novel, no. uh, but rather uh, was, a, uh, like you mentioned, the troughs and the, the pinnacles. It, it was a resurfacing of, 
of a work that the Lord had done many times. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, writes on that in the in uh, uh, over here in the colonies, and he dies before it's published. But he he deals with the history of redemption, and he considers revivals or seasons of extraordinary grace uh, to be at the heart of how God moved His kingdom forward. And so it, it wasn't novel or unique. It wasn't Welsh. It wasn't just this period of history. It's not just this group of people. And, you know, the Welsh Americans don't probably know, but in the UK, the Welsh get treated as the as the people who are more uh, easily stirred in their passions. You know, you have the kind of stoic Englishman and the excitable uh-huh. Welshman. And, uh, you know, so th- so the attitude can be, well, revival was a Welsh thing because of their natural temperament. They're poetic, they're passionate, but we English are not quite so. And so, Love. you know, that's a that's a very, um, it's an erroneous view of how God worked in these centuries that where many nations, many continents were impacted by the same truths in the same ways. Uh, well, so yes, applicable across the board, certainly um, uh, great realities for the people of God to be reminded of. Let me ask before we let you go, what was, um, two little questions, what, perhaps what was your favorite thing about filming Welsh Awakenings and what did you find most difficult? Oh, well, I think certainly seeing that, I mean, first of all, it, it just fills you with awe and faith you know, in God, that what he can do. Seeing the great story of God's work is, is certainly one of the most, um, the things I've enjoyed the most about it, is seeing that um, what he can do, seeing how he's worked in my country, you know, as well. So that, it's a, there's a personal element there. Um, there are personal connections um, for myself Myself. within the film my grandfather on my mother's side William Roberts he appears towards the end of the film to speak about ministers like himself who uh, came out of the Presbyterian Church across Wales in the 1960s and 70s because of theological error in the the church and so he appears at the end and then on my father's side his home church as I mentioned is uh, Bethany Chapel in Amherst which we visit in the film. It's one of the key places in the 1904 revival. And so just to, to go there and to kind of, actually it's, um, it's sad, it's just uh, announced that it was closing. Yeah. Um, it's declined. Um, part of that again, I think is the language that there aren't as many Welsh speaking Christians in as compared to English speaking Christians, because there's um, there are two churches in Armidford that are English speaking. But this is closing, and so I'm glad we got in just in time to to kind of immortalize it, as it were, on on screen. The difficulties, um, well, I think trying to do this justice in two hours is tricky. That's where Jonathan Thomas's excellent script comes in. Yeah. He's done a phenomenal job of somehow uh, condensing all these books. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. Uh, I just, I, I mean, it's so much. And he's managed to condense it into a very clear and helpful summary of the story. And so that, and then when coming to edit that, it's, it was very hard just to, you know, to what to cut out, what to keep in, because all of it, you know, you end up with about five hours of really good stuff. All of this is, you know, look at it and think, all of this is usable. All of this is great. 
but you've got to get it down to two hours. Mm. That's painful. But that's also why, I mean, I will just mention briefly, um, so I've got my copy here, and the stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor gets put into, so there's 18 bonus featurettes where we put in things mm. that we couldn't cover, things that, expanding on things perhaps that we did cover that we didn't spend enough time on perhaps as I'd like. There's also some archive Welsh hymn singing <laughs> from in Welsh from Bethany Chapel in Amersford. Um And so that really, the purpose of that is just to give a flavour to kind of immerse the viewer in a small way into perhaps, you know, what the Welsh singing scene, the cultural scene was like for people outside of Wales. Um, it's It it's, uh, has translations of subtitles in English. So again, that language barrier so you can see what they're singing. And it's very, very rich. Um, the gospel is just sung about in such a, yep. a wonderful and rich way. And in the, one of those videos, Nantlice Williams, again, 1904 Revival, he's leading the service um, for the radio broadcast. So that's pretty um, historically um, unique, I think. I'm not sure there's another recording of him. And then the third disc is just behind the scenes vlogs where we um, you follow me and Jonathan around as we as we film that. And we meet some people, contemporary people, and we talk to them about how things are now. And also, <clears throat> we meet uh, William Williams Pantakellen's great-great-great-great-grandson. He's still, the, Pat, the William Williams family is still at the same farm in Pantakellen mm -hmm. today from when he was there. So that's pretty yes. cool. And then inside in the DVD, we have here, and this is important, um, we have a reading list here mm -hmm. of 20 books that you can go and delve deeper. So, yeah, this The Welsh Awakenings is designed to be an overview of the work, and so this really helps you to go and learn more. And so they've been separated out by chapter, and so there's some here. There's Banner book, banner of Truth books here. Um, some of them are in Welsh... Welsh um, publishing houses, so they might be harder to get hold of, but hopefully you can. But yeah, I mean, there's books like, um, there's biographies and people like Thomas Charles and the Ian Murray biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones and Bethan Lloyd-Jones' translation of William Williams' book, The Experience Meeting, yeah. talking about the Welsh societies. Um, and then there's also stories about the revivals by people like Adrian Evans, Errol Davis and others. So yeah, um, there's a lot there to get stuck into um, and to find out more about some of the, the stories of what God has done that captured my my um, um, kind of attention uh, back when I was reading them and also delve a little deeper into the stories of some of the leaders that we look at. Um, so, yeah. And, um, uh, and each of the DVDs comes with a code for streaming as well, correct? Yeah, as in each of the um, DVD sets. Yes. Right, yes, yeah. There's a ghost. Yeah, so much the same as Revival. So that's, yeah, so both Revival and Welsh Awakenings have a code. So you don't have to buy the DVD. You can buy it online. So Revival has a bespoke website called revival.movie. If you go on there, you can buy it to stream or you can use the code in the DVD mm -hmm. to access the content online. Actually, with Revival, there's a lot more content online mm -hmm. than on the DVD set because there's so much. Um, there's a, a whole conference that is, we couldn't fit on the DVD set. With Welsh Awakenings, it takes you to, you go to my Vimeo page, mm -hmm. uh, Pew Productions Vimeo page, and you can access all the content there, all three discs. So the content on the DVD is the same as the content you get on the streaming uh, version. So, yeah. So each code uh, is unique and is 
in the DVD set. Well, thank you, Dan, for joining us. And uh, we're very, very grateful for way, the way the Lord uh, stirred your heart to put this together when everything, you know, in the world was on lockdown and then the really uh, just stellar job at uh, filming and then matching, you know, you, the beautiful picturesque scenes of Wales with really solid historical biblical content and, and the work that Jonathan did there. So we're very glad well, well. and we hope the Lord will use it. And um, if anyone would like to get this, you can go, as Dan mentioned, to his Vimeo uh, with Pew Productions, uh, or you can purchase it from uh, Media Gratia online. So we hope that people will do that and benefit from it. And you're in as well. Yeah. In Marshall Aiken. So yes. That's yes. reason enough to buy it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank I, you, thank oh, you. I saw that. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I'm not going to buy it now, <laughs> now that I saw my face on it. Maybe I can buy a truncated version, you know, the, the reduced the reduced version. The, non, the non-American version. The non the non John. You're the only you're the only non Welshman in the film. I, I, yeah, so. I should have put a Welsh accent on, you know, the valleys. <laughs> my, that my been, version, I'm sure that would have been a Yeah, I, when I when I was working on the PhD, I you know I learned enough Welsh to kind of do some translation in the early 18th century sources, and um, I, yeah. I remember you know speaking to friends in Cardiff who were Welsh speakers, uh, and, and many of them would be friends that you had met there, and I would say, well, okay, so how do I say this word, and especially with the double L, you know. So, Llangetho, and they would say it, and then I'd say, okay, say that again, and so what's this oh, double L, and they would tell me how to do the double L, and I would do it, and they'd say, no, i do it again, they say, no, i say, oh, you do it, and they do it, and I would do it again. I, it didn't matter how close I was to how they did it, because I was an English speaker, they would say, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I sit, I feel... Um... Shame sitting here because I've done that recently with an English friend. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I said, "No, you're not quite there." Yeah, and yeah. They say, I said it. No, no, you can't. You can't give in. Um, you you have to you have to make the English pay somehow. You know, don't don't let them know the secret. Absolutely. So, well, right. great to see you, Dan, and uh, we look forward Likewise. to future things the Lord will do with Pew Productions. <laughs>